0: and welcome to the Amplifying Scientific Innovation video podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Sophia Onoye Onye, founder and CEO of the Sophia Consulting Firm, a Weed Bank-certified life science marketing and communications consultancy that was established in New York City with the goal of amplifying scientific innovation. The goal of this podcast is to showcase the importance of science advocacy, health equity, and influential leadership through conversations with senior leaders who will share their unique perspectives on their leadership journey, corporate vision, and industry outlook. My guest today is Robert Rob Goodwin, Vice President, Operations Center of Excellence, Global Product Development at Pfizer. Every day, Pfizer colleagues work across developed and emerging markets to advance wellness, prevention, treatments, and cures that challenge the most feared diseases of our time. And as you will see in Rob's background, Pfizer firmly believes that science will win. And I was very fortunate to join uh, Pfizer very early in my career. Actually, my first official job was at Pfizer, where I worked in analytical chemistry at the Mm -hmm. Pfizer Global Research and Development headquarters in Groton, Connecticut. And I returned to the company a few years afterwards as an MBA summer associate, where I supported the Lyrical Marketing Team's pioneering multi-channel marketing efforts. Additionally, we have previously featured senior leaders at Pfizer on the podcast, including Bert Bruce, who is, of course, original president, North America for Rare Diseases at Pfizer, and Sandy Amaro, who leads Pfizer's clinical tri-diversity efforts. But today, it is truly an honor and pleasure to welcome you to the show, Rob. Thank you so much. It's, it is my to pleasure. it's my pleasure. And my first question, and you can answer it from any perspective that you want, including a clinical perspective, but what is your definition of scientific innovation?
1: Well, I think we can look at it many different ways, right? But when I look at any innovation, right, it's really around bringing new information, right? Or solving a problem, or really entering into that unknown, improving upon, you know, maybe what the, an existing, in this case, maybe a treatment was, yeah. right? And making it, bringing it better. So, you know, if you look at, you know, work that we do here at Pfizer, it could be around discovering a new compound, mm-hmm. understanding biology more, maybe, mm-hmm. or maybe even, you know, as simple as uh, a new device or something that's gonna help, you know, with the delivery of, of a new medicine to a patient. So you can look at it many different ways. Right.
0: Right, no, I, I completely agree with you. I think innovation has the potential to impact us in multiple ways, but a common variable that we choose in the life science industry is patient outcomes. So, but, but one thing I also find truly remarkable, especially underneath the great resignation, is that you've been at Pfizer now for over 23 years. Why have you chosen to stay with the same company for over two decades? And what is your vision for the future?
1: Sure, so I stay here because I love being here. I love the people uh, that I work with. I love our mission and how we serve patients. I love the fact that every day something's different. You know, in our business, scientific innovation, right? New opportunities to change how we operationalize clinical trials. All that is at our fingertips. So why do I want to go somewhere else when I feel like I'm so privileged to be here and to partake in all of this? Um, It's really been a pleasure to be here. And I hope this is the company I retire from.
0: (laughs) Ah, so that's it. That's your vision for the future. I I love that. I don't think you could have picked a better company, obviously. (laughs) Pfizer has played a very important role amid the pandemic, but even prior to that, some of the great blockbusters of the 90s we know have been Pfizer discoveries. So thinking through about your leadership journey at Pfizer, what would you consider to be your leadership mantra? And how do you think it might have helped to create opportunities for other people, especially uh, women and and minorities, as we think about organizational advancement?
1: Yeah, I've learned a lot from a lot of people here over the years. Mm -hmm. And you know, working at Pfizer, you get a lot of exposure. Uh, to uh, great people outside of the Pfizer walls, and I think it grew me as a leader. You know, often you get a chance to watch people and see how they interact with others, and you you want to be more like them. And Absolutely. that was definitely something that I still aspire to. But my leadership style is often, you know, I I try to listen more. Mm. Early in my career, mm. I felt like I needed to talk more. Ah. Now I realize I need to listen more, bigger ears, right? And and spending the time. I also have a more of a coaching style so Mm. you know part of this is the journey is really letting people express themselves to get the best ideas not just my idea right takes on many different avenues of diversity right so of course there's diversity of of cultures there's diversity of race there's diversity of ideas all Mm -hmm. that has to come together Mm -hmm. in, in, in true leadership and i feel like that's a something I think I do a pretty good job at.
0: (laughs) Ah, well, I I could say so myself, and I, I love the point that you made. I think it's an important one. Perhaps earlier in your career, you have to talk more to prove yourself, but as you become a leader, it becomes more important to listen to input and to make sure that you're informed and making the best decisions for the advancement of the company at large. So thank you so much for sharing that. Thank you. And now my next question for you, of course, has to come back to Pfizer. Uh, Can you please provide a top line overview of some of the work your team is doing to innovate Pfizer's clinical trial operations?
1: Absolutely. And so this is an area I'm really excited about. So you asked me, why do I stay? Well, this is really, (laughs) I mean, one of the the, the exciting parts about our company, we're never satisfied, Mm. right? We always Mm. believe we can do better, do better for patients, Right, do better for ourselves, do better for the, the process of clinical trials. And so some of the areas that we've been working on for years, but have really proven to be, I would say, at the, the tip of the spear right now within clinical trials is around decentralization, mm-hmm. right? So we've always known that we'd like to serve patients where they are, right? Whether they be at home and, or, you know, typically closer to their home. In a clinical trial, most patients travel anywhere from 25 to 50 miles to get to a clinical trial site. And while one might say, oh, that doesn't sound too bad, if you're a person that might not have the means to do that, you might not want to participate in a clinical trial or you might sign up for a clinical trial and then actually drop out, right? So with the pandemic, what we've learned is really we can bring clinical trials to patients. So whether it be through telemedicine video like we're doing today, Mm -hmm. right? Um, We can do things with uh, home health, so coming right to the patient's home. We can have more opportunities with delivering patient's medicines to a home. I think that the world really has opened a, a new aperture in terms of how it can direct clinical trials. We have some studies right now where we actually have mobile buses that are traveling through the community. Wow very early on there, right? But wouldn't that be great if, you know, if you can't actually, you know, leave a community for any one reason, if that bus could come there, right? And really, you know, be able to treat you right in your true neighborhood. So I feel really excited about these things, whether it be with technology, and of course, a lot of technology plays a role here, but more importantly, just meeting people where they are, right, and so people with people, so nursing, Et cetera, coming right to somebody's home. So, you know, today, right now, our new protocols, 51% of our visits are virtual. Wow. And that's not because of Rob Goodwin, that's because of everybody that works on Pfizer clinical trials, all working together, all really trying to pull in the same direction to create a better environment for the patients.
0: Yeah. And it's based on that common knowledge that every Pfizer employee shares, which is that science will win. Right. And and that is bigger than any one individual itself. So thank you so much for providing that update. Now I'm curious as a leader, you've obviously met people across the over the years that have shaped and influenced your career and who you are to date. So I'm curious to know about any notable mentors that have helped to shape the man that you are today, the leader that you are today.
1: Sure. Great question. And you know, so it's easy to say, well, the person I'm working with today is that person but actually it is that person. So my current boss has taught me so much. And, you know, I've had a long journey as you mentioned. So when Rod McKenzie came to our organization, he didn't know development. Mm -hmm. He had a chemistry background, like Mm -hmm. early science, right? So he Mm -hmm. had a, basically he needed to push every day to really understand what we do and challenge us. Mm -hmm. So with some bosses, you know, you may grow an inch, I grew a foot. Wow! Was he really pushed us to understand? Well, why do you do it that way? And in explaining why you do it that way, you start to realize and rethink. Yeah, why do I do it that way? Mm-hmm. That's slow. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. not really you know getting us to the the end point we really want. He also pushed us much more on diversity in our clinical trials. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. You specifically doing to reach out and actually, if you want, engage those populations, right? He's pushed us on even internally in terms of how we hire people in our organizations, right? He's pushed us in making sure that we have equity and diversity across our leadership ranks. Mm -hmm. He's the first person that I can really say in my career that was so strong about those different aspects Mm -hmm. that he pushed me personally, and I'm a better person and a better leader because of it. And Um, he is retiring um, and I'm going to miss him because I think uh, there's something about you being challenged every day for the right reasons that grows you.
0: Wow. I mean, that is such an excellent story. I've been fortunate to meet Rod McKenzie through my... Position as, as the chapter president for the Healthcare Business Women's Association, the New York chapter, and Rod has been very supportive of the HBA. And I believe he was actually the first man to win the HBA's Women of the Year Award. And I think he says a lot for his mentorship style and his ability to support and and elevate people all across the world. So thank you so much for sharing that. Whew. All right. Uh, My next question for you is regarding technologies. Obviously, this will not be a scientific innovation podcast if we don't talk about emerging technologies. So are there any that you're currently excited about, including, of course, what Pfizer is doing internally, and and why are you excited about these uh, technologies?
1: Well, I am excited about a lot of technologies right now because I feel like we're on the cusp of essentially all the great things that consumers you and I are using every single day are now becoming available for clinical trials. You know, I felt like we lived in a realm where, you know, our daily lives was separated from sort of what we do in clinical research. Yeah. But now you see, you know, um, devices, you see the use of cell phones every day, you see the use of the web, you see all these things happening around us, which is really facilitating the use in clinical research. So some of the things that I'm really excited about um, so, particularly uh, some of the wearables, mm. right? We're now able to change um, w- w- regulatory endpoints that were done via paper, via manual process with wearables now. Think about a, a child that every day or every week was coming to an office and doing, you know, uh, a, a step exercise to understand the mobility. Now they have an anklet on, and essentially you can see what's happening in their normal life every single day and how transformative that can be for patient care. I'm also very excited about just the use of remote technology in general to meet patients where they are. Mm -hmm. So for years we've talked about the ability to essentially interact like you and I are today in clinical research, but there's been a number of reasons why we felt like we couldn't do it, Mm -hmm. What we learned during the pandemic, most of the regulators When we brought ideas and they said, those are great ideas. We just don't know why you haven't been doing them before. Right. We realized it was us being very conservative. So the use of these digital technologies to really engage patients more directly, even the use of cell phones. Most people have cell phones, Mm -hmm. but if they don't, we can provide them.
0: Wow.
1: Right. So that we can get more real life and real world information in terms of whether it be pain or symptoms, et cetera. We don't need to anymore be deploying these sort of clunky devices to a patient that now they're walking around with, you know, sort of remember the old days of uh, the very first <laughs> cell phones, those bag phones. I feel like moved from bag phones right now to, you know, these little devices that people can really conceal if they yeah. don't want to have them available for everyone. So I feel like we're in a very good place there. There's also a lot of technologies now um, around, you know, being able to get blood samples at home. So really you know, essentially a dry blood sample that can be shipped, that can uh, perform many of the same sort of uh, testing that you would with um, a wet blood sample. So the world is changing and we're on the front of it right now. And I mean, as a research sort of community, and it's a great time to be in it. (laughs)
0: I mean, extremely well said. I think the the advent of the data enabled patient it's an important one, and it's also central to pretty much everything that you've mentioned, from decentralized trials to you know wearables and such. It's about bringing the trials to patients and assessing that data in real time. So, thank you for sharing that wealth of information. Now, my second to last question for you is thinking broadly, what do you think are some key consideration factors that will be important for sustaining innovation in the life science industry?
1: Well, a few different things. First is we have to be bold. I don't think we can always take a step back and say, well, we're concerned from a regulatory compliance issue because everything we do always should involve quality and compliance, right? Built into no matter what it is. Every innovation should be as good or better than what we do today. So if you have to have that mindset, if we're gonna drive these things forward, I also believe that we need to break down the walls of sort of who we believe the classic patient is for a clinical trial, mm-hmm. right? We've, we've talked a lot about you know diversity, et cetera. We have to go beyond talking and doing, building trust in the communities, right? And showing that everybody can and should participate in clinical research if they want to and if they're able to. I also believe that we partner very closely with uh, treating physicians. As much as we talk about decentralized trials, I do believe that's important, but I also believe that we cannot exclude treating physicians and others from this sort of clinical trial paradigm, because the most trusted partner with any patient is their physician. So we have to think broadly now about how we involve more people in clinical research not just your typical, I'm gonna call it clinical trial investigator Mm -hmm. that we work with uh, today. I also believe innovation has to go beyond the United States. So a lot of things that I even just spoke about with decentralized trials, a lot of that is mainly in the United States. That's not good enough for patients because as a global company, we serve everyone. Mm -hmm. So we do need to really be able to reach out into all parts of the world and have technologies or medicines or ways of delivery that meet everyone's needs, and not just those that are in wealthier countries. Mm-hmm. Like, we have to really get better at that. So I see you know, the world of research and how this all kind of comes together. We're at a tipping point. The pandemic has taught us all a lot. You know, We're having a conversation. I work from home now sitting in my gym in the basement. <laughs> I never thought I would do this two years ago, but I've adapted, my world's adapted beliefs i had two years ago are very different from the beliefs i have today and how i see things so i think in order for scientific innovation and technical innovation all just the world that we live in we have to have an open mind we have to believe that what we do today is never good enough there's always move for improvements and continue to strive for those improvements
0: wow um, extremely well said, I was born in Nigeria and so I've always had that global perspective and I'm always honored and excited when I, I hear global leaders like yourself share that same perspective because it's really important adaptability is also key. I like your gym. I think it's a nice background, but it also showcases what we've all had to do in the past two years, really, to adapt to changing circumstances that we don't know how long it will go on for, but also how do we maximize the time that we have now for the better good of tomorrow. So thank you for that.
1: You're welcome. Can I add a small start? Up?
0: Absolutely.
1: So thinking about how much I've changed, So for years, I've been talking about decentralized trials. I've been talking about telemedicine, et cetera. It wasn't until the pandemic I had my first telemedicine visit. So I had been pontificating, talking about how great this would be for patients, but I had never done it. Wow. And I realized that you always have to sit in the shoes of the patient to really understand how they feel. And I remember my first telemedicine visit, I felt very clunky, right? I I wasn't quite sure how it was going to go. I wasn't really sort of, meeting a person, you know, face-to-face, a person that I'm trusting with my health care. And I've learned now, I've had a number of these over the last two years. And I realize it is a learning curve for us all, for the patient, for the physician, and then even for researchers as we're trying to collect information to participate in our clinical uh, clinical studies. So I think, you know, I hate to say the pandemic has been good because obviously it hasn't. But if we can cherry pick some opportunities that we've learned, I would say that, you know, from the healthcare front, we've learned we can do better. Mm-hmm. We don't have to follow the existing paradigms and in clinical research and for the work we do, there are other ways of reaching patients if we're open to it.
0: I don't have anything I could add to that. It's, <laughs> it's heartfelt, but it's also prolific, right? And And I think even in the darkest, deepest catastrophes that we face in life, there's always an opportunity to learn. So thank you for for sharing that. Uh, My final question for you is the easiest. Uh, It's do you have any other comments or thoughts that you'd like to share with our audience before we wrap today?
1: Sure, Um, if I just had one comment or one thought is, um, you know, part of the role that we all have is really um, building trust. Right? So we talk about building trust, and I talk about it for clinical research, right? Building trust with individuals. But I think the other thing I've learned through the pandemic is we have to go beyond. We have to really trust each other. When I see some of the divisive activities that happen you know, across the world, it bothers me. And what I really believe is that we are one. You know, I have a global position, and I have the opportunity, the privilege to work with people in many different countries, and what I find Right, we all have the same hopes, dreams, fears. And so, if we can all just continue to come together for the good of everyone, I think it makes a huge difference in the world that we want to live in and hopefully the next generations.
0: Oh, thank you again. It ties back to what I shared earlier. You're really an and a true example of a Pfizer colleague. Every day, Pfizer colleagues work across the world, both in, in developing countries and in emerging markets to advance wellness prevention, treatments, and cures. And, and thank you for showcasing that, the global perspective that our, our search for healthcare, our optimization of, of sort of technologies to, to evolve our standard of care, and our desire to be healthy for our families, our friends is something that is truly universal. So thank you for gracing us with your presence today and the knowledge that you shared. I, I look forward to staying in touch and I'm really inspired by the conversation that we've had today. So thank you again.
1: Thank you for having me, and it was really just wonderful to meet you, and really thank you for allowing me to participate.
0: Uh, It's my honor and pleasure. I hope you have a good day, and uh, I'll be in touch. Take care.
1: Thank you.